0: Brother Chairman, Brother Robert, and Brethren and Sisters. Their brother Chairman has pointed out, it is quite a remarkable thing that when we come to consider the announcement of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should first witness the birth of another son into the household of God. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, which we had read in our hearing at the beginning of this meeting, We read these remarkable words in verse 18. Being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. And tonight we witnessed our new brother walk into this hall in bondage to sin and death. We have seen him buried in the waters of baptism, identifying himself, with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that very means, he is now before us, being made free from sin. That division that was caused between him and his God by the sins he had committed has now been done away. He stands now justified in the presence of God He stands in a right and acceptable relationship with him. And he stands in that position because we read in Luke chapter 1. We read the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and at verse 31. Gabriel's words to Mary, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus means the salvation of Yahweh. At a little later time, the angel angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary would bear a son. And he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And unless that event had happened, brethren and sisters, our new brother wouldn't be before us this evening. And there's not one of us here in this hall that would be able to stand in an acceptable relationship with God. If that one had not been manifested, who was to be the salvation of Yahweh, who was to save his people from their sins, these events that we have witnessed this night could never have taken place. And so you see, this child that was to be born, this one who was to be the saviour of the human race, is one who who is of particular importance to every one of us. And so, as we come now to consider the very events that gave rise to his birth, we see we are considering events that are important and significant to every one of us. We've witnessed the birth this evening because Yahweh's spirit word has gone forth. It has lodged in our new brother's mind. It has taken root in the fleshly tables of the heart and it has given rise to the development of a new creature within him. And we come to read, brethren and sisters, of how the saviour of the human race was brought into existence. He was brought into existence by the operation of the Spirit of Yahweh upon the womb of a virgin, causing his miraculous conception without the intervention of man, indicating that man was completely incapable of providing the Saviour. Man was absolutely impotent when it came to, 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 to gaining forgiveness for his own sins and bringing himself into an acceptable relationship with Yahweh. The work of salvation is essentially Yahweh's work and we are shown that very powerfully in these verses that are before us this evening. And so as we have been working our way through Luke chapter 1 we come tonight to verse 26 and we read that in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth in the sixth month that is of course the sixth month since Elizabeth conceived that's made quite clear from verse 36 where Gabriel speaks to Mary and says Behold thy cousin or thy kinswoman Elizabeth she hath also conceived a son in her old age and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren so it was the sixth month since John was conceived from uh, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth six months had gone by and now the angel Gabriel is sent upon another mission it's the fourth time in scripture that the angel Gabriel is mentioned by name he's mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 verse 16 in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21 in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19 and in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 Those are the four places in scripture where the name of the angel Gabriel is mentioned. This is his last and final time that he is mentioned, the fourth and final time that he is mentioned. And he is sent on an errand from God to a city of Galilee. He comes on a special mission. And he comes into the land of Galilee. That in itself is significant, brethren and sisters, because to the Jewish mind—that is, when we say the Jewish mind, the 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 the, uh, um, the religious mind of the Jew, who delighted in the city of Jerusalem—they looked down upon the region of Galilee. The aristocratic custodians of the law in Jerusalem, they viewed with scorn and contempt the rural Galileans. It is stated that it was generally looked upon in the land at that time that if a person sought the riches of this world he would go north to Galilee. But if he sought to be wise he should go south to Jerusalem because it was at Jerusalem that the precious things of God were held. And so the priestly class in in Israel would delight in Jerusalem, but they would look with scorn and contempt upon the regions of Galilee. You know, in the, back in the book of Kings, the first of Kings, we find that Solomon gave a certain portion of land. He gave 20 cities to King Hiram of Tyre as a reward for the support that Hiram had given to the building of the temple in 1st of Kings chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 we read of Hiram's estimation of these cities of Galilee we read now Hiram the king of Tyre had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and with gold according to all his desires that then King Solomon gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee and Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him and they pleased him not And he said, What cities are these which thou hast given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, unto this day, or as the margin renders it, displeasing or dirty. That was the way Hiram viewed these cities of Galilee. Galilee, the population of Galilee, had a high content of Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 9 it's referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. And for all these reasons, the Jewish mind looked with contempt upon the land of Galilee. And yet we find here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 that the God of heaven is sending the angel Gabriel upon a special mission into the land of Galilee. He bypasses Jerusalem and he goes into the land of Galilee. You know, in John chapter 7 and verse 52 we get these The the, uh, attitude of the the, uh, priestly class in in Jerusalem to the land of Galilee. The statement they make here is, of course, not correct. But nevertheless, it reveals the contempt in which they viewed Galilee. Uh, We read in verse 50 of John chapter 7 that Nicodemus uh, started to, to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say unto him in verse 52. Aren't thou also of Galilee? Or in sympathy with these Galileans? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And that was their view of Galilee. And yet the angel Gabriel bypasses Jerusalem and he goes into the land of Galilee to a city named Nazareth. You know, that's the first time that Nazareth is mentioned in the word of God. It's true, it's mentioned in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark which precedes Luke. But chronologically speaking, these events that we're looking at here precede anything recorded in Matthew or Mark. And so chronologically speaking, this is the first place in the word of God where Nazareth is mentioned. It's not mentioned before because you see, nothing great had ever happened at Nazareth. Nothing great had ever happened at Nazareth. And again we get the indication of the ways in which the Jews viewed Nazareth Nazareth, from the words of Nathanael. It was an Israelite indeed, an Israelite in whom there was no God. But in John chapter 1 and verse 46, or verse 45 to get the context, Philip, having met the Lord Jesus Christ, goes and finds Nathanael and said unto him we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nathanael said unto him can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip says, well come and see and Nathanael went and saw and he soon agreed that some good thing could come out of Nazareth but that was his immediate reaction can any good thing come out of Nazareth? so we see that Nazareth was a city that was viewed with contempt. You know, to be told, um, we learn in Matthew chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was born and had been down into Egypt and he came back and he lived at Nazareth. And we're told in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23 that that was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And to be called a Nazarene was a sign of contempt. In the 24th chapter of the book of Acts we find this term used and it shows the way in which this term was used. Acts chapter 24 and verse 5 For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. he's gone about to profane the temple. And there we see the way in which it is used. Here they were dragging this up, the sect of the Nazarenes. They were using it with contempt. They were heaping it upon the apostle at that time, trying to uh, deride the apostle and drag him down. You know, when the Jews gave the Lord Jesus Christ the name, jesus of nazareth they were doing it for a reason now we sometimes think of jesus of nazareth as a rather picturesque sort of a title of the lord jesus christ the jews didn't see it in that way at all when they called him jesus of nazareth they were deriding him it was a mark of contempt See to put it into everyday language perhaps it was equivalent to saying Jesus the nobody because he comes from Nazareth and nothing great has ever happened in Nazareth. They were calling him Jesus the nobody. That's the spirit in which they call him Jesus of Nazareth. You know there was another reason too why the Jewish people call him Jesus of Nazareth because to their mind The fact that he came from Nazareth was proof that his claims to be the Messiah were false. They knew, as is recorded in Matthew chapter 2, that the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. And he was a man that came from Nazareth. And there was nothing in the word of God said about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. So by labelling him Jesus of Nazareth, they were trying to demonstrate to the people that his claims to be the Messiah were false. And that's why the Jewish people called him Jesus of Nazareth. They, it was an indication of the contempt they had for him. But you know, it's written in the Proverbs, that it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and the honour of kings to search out a matter. And to those who were prepared to make a little bit of personal research, they would soon find that the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem in accordance with the predictions of the prophet Micah. And so his claims to be the Messiah were quite justified. He did come from Bethlehem. And here was a man called Jesus of Nazareth, even though he was born in Bethlehem. And you know, it was also revealed in the prophets, Isaiah chapter 53, for example, that when the Messiah would come, he would be despised and rejected of men. And the very fact that the Jews call him Jesus of Nazareth was evidence that he was despised and rejected of men. And they would see in that also a fulfilment of Bible prophecy. You know, the very name Nazareth, it comes from the Hebrew root netzar. And that word netzar is found in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. We read And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him. It's obviously a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the stem of Jesse, the house of David, David being the son of Jesse. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David and he was as a branch, a netzar that sprang up out of his roots and the spirit of Yahweh was upon him. It is said that the word Nazareth means or, or, or suggests a valuable young shoot that has been hedged around and protected from the destroying animals. And that's precisely what the Lord Jesus Christ was. He was that shoot, that branch out of the stump of Jesse that was to grow up and the spirit of Yahweh was to be upon him. You know, the discerning Israelite, the one skilled in the word of truth, would see in this title, Jesus of Nazareth, he would see a fulfilment of Bible prophecy. He would see that although he was born in Bethlehem, he was called Jesus of Nazareth in the fulfilment of the fact that he was despised and rejected of men. He would see him set before the people of that tender branch that was to come forth out of the stump of Jesse. Uh, uh, and ultimately bring peace to all nations of the earth. And so they would discern those things. But the Jewish mind, blinded to the true significance of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, called him Jesus of Nazareth in an attempt to deride him and to debase him and to demonstrate to the people that this could not be the Messiah. And so you see, when the angel Gabriel went to Nazareth, It was really quite a significant mission as he went to that despised region of the earth, to that despised city in Galilee, and he visited a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. And the ends took place that were to to give rise to that shoot out of the stump of Jesse. Now we read in verse 27 that Gabriel visited a virgin. The word virgin there there means an unmarried woman. It means chaste, pure or unmarried. Such was the condition of Mary when the angel Gabriel visited her. Verse 27 states that she was espoused to a man. She was betrothed but she wasn't actually married and she was still a virgin. And she was a young woman who found favour in the eyes of Yahweh. We learn that both Mary and Joseph were both of the house of David. And we read at the end of verse 27 that the virgin's name was Mary. The name Mary is a word which means bitterness. We find its Hebrew counterpart in the book of Ruth the book of Ruth in chapter 1 and verse 20 when Naomi returning from the land of Moab came back to the town of Bethlehem and the people looked and saw her coming and said Is this the Naomi? And she said unto them Call me not Naomi Call me Mara Naomi means pleasantness But Mara means bitterness. She says, call me not pleasant, call me bitterness, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And so that's the meaning of the word Mary. It means bitterness. The name, the word Myrrh is derived from the the same root as the name Mary comes. And Myrrh is a, 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 a spice which figures prominently in the word of God it was, it was a gum of a tree that was obtained from that tree by putting a gash in the bark of that tree and through that wound that was placed in the tree the gum would ooze forth and when that gum was collected it had a very bitter taste hence the, the, the word bitterness it had a very bitter taste but when it was bruised it sent forth a very sweet, fragrant perfume. You see, the very myrrh itself speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of sacrifice and the bitterness of sacrifice that can in turn cause a sweet, sweet, fragrant perfume to ascend into the nostrils of Yahweh. So you see, the name Mary is very appropriate for the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ a man who was to be the one perfect sacrifice for sin, and by means of that sacrifice was to save his people from their sins. Now Mary was a young woman. We believe she was a young woman but she was old enough to be a mature woman. She was mature enough to, to accept the tremendous responsibilities were about to be laid upon her. But she was young enough to produce at least six children after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ we know that she bore four sons and at least two daughters. So she was a young woman but she was mature enough to accept the responsibility of being the mother of the Son of God. Now as we come to look at Mary we find she was a very beautiful young woman a very mature young woman spiritually. The word reveals that she was, had a very reflective and reasoning mind. Luke chapter 2 verse 19, for example. Speaking of the time after the shepherds had come down and, uh, and, and seen the, uh, the, the, the young Lord as he was born. We read that, that, that um, and all they that heard it in verse 18 wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. Verse 51 of the same chapter. And when he went down with them and came to Nazareth, this was after they'd been up to Jerusalem when the Lord was twelve, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother Mary all these sayings in her heart. We see how Mary had a very logical, reflective, reasoning mind. The very way that she responded to the angel Gabriel's message shows that she had this logical, reflective mind. And we believe that this passage of scripture that we're looking at tonight reveals also that she had a very profound knowledge of scripture. She had a very profound knowledge of Scripture and a very mature attitude towards spiritual things. And we find also about Mary that she was very poor. Luke chapter 2 and verse 24 shows us this. At the time when the her time of her purification, when she went up to Jerusalem to offer certain sacrifices after the birth of the Lord, we read in verse 25, and to offer a sacrifice. According to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And if you go back to Leviticus chapter 12 and verses 6 to 8, you will see that the law actually prescribed the offering of a lamb. But it allowed the offering of two turtle doves or two young pigeons for those who were unable to procure a lamb. Now there's not a shadow of a doubt when we look at the character of both Mary and Joseph that had they been able to offer a lamb they would have offered a lamb without question. Had they been able to they would have. But they offered two turtle turtledoves which was evidence that they could not afford a lamb. They were poor. They could not afford a lamb. know, brothers and sisters, as we come to look at the early life of the Lord, we're faced really with some quite, quite remarkable facts. In verse 32 of this chapter, we read, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. You know, you can't get any higher than the Highest. Yahweh in the heavens was this boy's father. He was the son of the highest. The God of heaven who could have given his only begotten son absolutely anything he wanted. Absolutely anything. And yet when we look at the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ we find that when he was born he was laid in an animal's Food trough. We find he was put into the care of poor parents. He lived in the most despised region of the land. He would have lived in a very humble house. Everything indicates that it would have been a very humble house. He shared that house with four brothers and at least two sisters. No, brothers and sisters. If we were going to have an only begotten son, and we had the limitless power to give that lad anything we can see, what would we choose to give him? Would we choose an animal food shop to lay him in as a bed when he's a baby? Would we choose of the poorest people of the land to look after him? Would we choose the most despised region of Perth to, to have him living? we choose to have him in a little humble little house sharing it with with six other children? And yet that is what the highest himself chose to give his only begotten son, because he wanted his only begotten son to be completely identified with the realities of human life. He was a lad that grew up that had nothing to boast as far as the flesh was concerned. Nothing at all. That's why he was despised and rejected by the Jewish nation at large. You see, we would probably give our sons far different circumstances because so often we try to escape and avoid the realities of life. So often we try to create circumstances for ourselves that we think are so much better than what Yahweh lays upon us. And that's why the difference would be But we're looking at the son of the highest and we look at the very humble origin that he had. The humble parents into whose care he was given. The humble living circumstances under which he grew up and learnt the needs of his brothers and sisters. A man who was fitted to be able to go forth and be a true representative, completely identified with the realities of human life. A man who was fitted to have compassion upon the poor, and so on and so forth. Those were the conditions that Yahweh chose for his son when he sent forth the angel Gabriel into a city of Galilee, into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin by the name. Of Mary. And so Gabriel arrives at Mary's house. We read in verse 28 that the angel came in unto her. We learn that Mary had a house in um, Luke chapter 1 and at verse. um, just lost lost the verse at the moment, but, but the verse where after John is born I know it's here somewhere, but but good thanks here, <laughs> verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. It seems that her parents may have been there. Otherwise it would say to her father's house. But she she lived in a house. She desired she her own house and the angel Gabriel came in unto her into the house and said Hail thou that art highly favoured the Lord is with thee you know the word highly favoured is a word which only appears one other time in the word of God it appears in Ephesians chapter 1 in Ephesians chapter 1 And at verse 6 we find the word "used," where we read to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved hath made us accepted it's the same Greek word as a highly favoured in Luke chapter 1 thou art highly favoured or as the the, um, the margin here in, in, in Ephesians says uh, made us accepted no I'm sorry the margin doesn't say it, 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 the margin doesn't give any alternate rendering here. has made us accepted and, and we have ma- been made accepted through his grace now new brother Robert this evening has been brought into that very position Been made accepted been highly favoured special favour and grace from Yahweh has been extended and we've been brought into a right and acceptable relationship with him. And the angel Gabriel emphasises that upon Mary, as he greets Mary, Thou that art highly favoured, and it is in this verse that the margin gives an alternate rendering, graciously accepted, or much graced, graciously accepted. And just as the angel reminded Mary that Yahweh had graciously accepted her, So Paul in Ephesians reminds us that Yahweh graciously accepts us through the Beloved, through that Son that Mary was to bear. And so thou art graciously accepted, and the Lord is with thee. The rest of that verse should be omitted. The words, Blessed art thou among women, should be omitted. And the, in the dialogue, the Revised Standard Version, the Revised Version, Waymouth, Rotherham, and probably many others, it is omitted in all of those versions. And so what the angel actually said to Mary was, Hail, thou that art graciously accepted, the Lord is with thee. And verse 29 says, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was troubled at his saying. As she turned and she saw the angel in her house, and the angel speaks to her, she became troubled. And the word means to stir up throughout, to disturb, to agitate. Vine suggests here that it should mean to agitate greatly. And that's how the dialogue renders it. She became greatly agitated. We can understand how she would going about her daily duties and suddenly there's an angel in her house and the angel is speaking to her and she becomes greatly agitated. But even though she's greatly agitated we read and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The dialogue renders that pondered in her mind. The word means to reckon through To balance accounts, to consider or think over. That's how Bullinger defines the word. To balance accounts, to consider or think over, to ponder over it all. So she's greatly agitated, but you see the reflective reasoning mind she has. In her mind she's trying to balance the accounts. What sort of salutation is this? And she's weighing it all up in her mind. That she's confronted by the angel at this time, and in verse 30 we find that Gabriel's words, or verse 30 to 33, Gabriel's words to Mary, and the angel said unto her, "Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great." and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob for ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so they are the words of Gabriel to Mary. And in verse 34, first of all, Gabriel says, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favour with God. As he sees her greatly agitated in his presence, he tries to calm her, he consoles her, and he gives her encouragement. Don't be afraid. You've found favour with God. And then in verse 31 he tells her, you're going to be the mother of a son. You're going to produce a son. And no ordinary son. His name is going to be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins, in other words. Jesus, the Greek equivalent of the name Joshua, the salvation of Yahweh. And so she's given this wonderful message. And going on in verses 32 and 33, Gabriel presents to Mary the fact that this child she is to give birth to is to be the seed of David. At our next class, where we will give these verses uh, greater consideration, we will see how the angel Gabriel, point by point, takes the covenant with David and he shows Mary that that son that that she is to give birth to is going to be the promised seed to David. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the highest. He'll have the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And we will consider those words in greater detail at our next class. Time does not permit tonight. But let us just look at the way in which Gabriel presents the facts to Mary. You see, Gabriel comes to Mary, and he gives her a glorious picture of all that is to be accomplished through that son. He's going to be great, he's the son of the highest, he's going to reign on the throne of his father David, there's going to be no end to his kingdom. And it's a glorious picture of the future. And by that glorious picture of the future, Mary is lifted up and strengthened. Think of the contrast. If Gabriel had come and said, well look Mary, you're going to have a son. But you know that son's going to be hated and despised by the people of this nation. They're going to be able to deride him and take contempt upon him. They're going to spit on him and scourge him. They're, they're, they're going to hate him and they're going to cut him off in his prime and he's going to die. But one day he'll be a king. You know if the emphasis had been upon the sacrifice. Think of the effect upon Mary. She'd have been bowed down. She'd want to go out and dig a hole in the ground and bury herself in it. But, you know, the angel Gabriel lifts her above all those things. All those things were going to happen. But he lifts her above all those things and he sweeps her into the future as as he tells her the glorious things that are going to be accomplished through that son. You know, there's a lesson for us, brothers and sisters, in the way that Gabriel dealt with Mary here. There's a lesson for us. So often we look at the problems of the present so often the trials and the difficulties are the things that loom up like mountains. And you know, Gabriel knew that if he presented all the sufferings of the Messiah to Mary at that time, that's the way it would have been. But Gabriel treated all those things as little trivialities. Not worth considering when you look at the glories of the kingdom beyond. And you know, Mary was built up by that and she had encouragement to go forward. You know, and that's the lesson for us. We've got to get our eye upon that glorious picture of the kingdom of God. You know, when we've got our eye upon the kingdom of God, well, how what trivialities the trials of the present really are? The, 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 the difficulties of serving the truth now are not really worth considering when you look at the glories of the future. And that's something that our new brother Robert will have to Remember? and and verse 33 of Luke chapter 1 and in verse 34 we have Mary's response to that it's really quite a remarkable statement then said Mary unto the angel how shall this be seeing I know not a man you know Gabriel had just made some magnificent promises to her and Mary accepted it all she never questioned anything of that. She just said, Look, Gabriel, there's one little problem. How am I going to have a son when I'm not married? That was all she asked. How am I going to have a son when I haven't got a husband? She never questioned the, the, the fact that all these things were going to happen. It's an absolutely remarkable way in which she received that promise, there in verses 31 to 33. And all she says at the end of it is, well, could you just tell me how it's going to happen when I haven't got a husband? Quite a logical question for her to ask. In verse 35, it gave you an answer. And he says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel answered Mary's question. Gabriel said the power of the Holy Spirit is going to do this. The power of the highest is going to overshadow thee. In other words, Gabriel's saying to Mary, look, you don't need a husband because this is Yahweh's work. No man can provide this son it's beyond the power of man to provide the saviour. That's Yahweh's work. Man is cut out of this picture and Yahweh is going to do it. And that's the, angel, that's the answer that Gabriel gives to Mary. In verse 36 and 37 he says, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And so you see, Gabriel presents to Mary the sign of Elizabeth. That she had conceived in her old age. And he reminds Mary in verse 37 that with God nothing is impossible. You know, when Gabriel had gone to Zachariah Zechariah failed to believe. He saw all the problems and all the difficulties. And yet you know, Zechariah had before him the example of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Manoah and his wife, and so on and so forth. There were plenty of examples in the word of God of barren women that have been made to bear a, ty- a son. And in the face of all that, Zechariah couldn't believe. But to what example could Mary them. Where was the example of a virgin conceiving? Such a thing had never happened before. And Gabriel revealed to her that she is to produce a son without the intervention of a husband. And Mary believed it. And I believe that as Gabriel revealed those words to Mary, many passages of scripture would have come crashing in upon her mind. And I believe she immediately, as Gabriel now explained to her how these things were going to come to pass, she came to, to understand the full import of many passages of scripture. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the seed of the woman, the man's excluded, is to be the seed of the woman. Genesis 49, verse 24, when Jacob blessing Joseph, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And he's speaking of the mighty God of Jacob, and he says, From thence is the stone, the shepherd of Israel. From God, not from man. 2nd of Samuel 7 and verse 14, I will be his father, he shall be my son. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. You know, and as as Gabriel explained to Mary that it was the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the highest that was going to accomplish this. Mary would have been connecting all these things up in her mind. And she would have come to an understanding now of how it was that Yahweh was going to intervene in the affairs of man to produce the Saviour. You know, I believe that Mary's response so Gabriel's explanation there is really quite remarkable. In, um, in, in verse, verse 38 and Mary answered after Gabriel had spoken to her and Mary said Behold the handmaid of the Lord it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. It's an absolutely remarkable statement, I believe, brethren and sisters, in verse 38. As Mary stands there, she's just had, the virgin birth explained to her, and she stands there before Gabriel and she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I believe her mind was back in the book of Psalms. Psalm 86, an example. In the 86th Psalm, and at the 16th verse, we read, "Turn, un- O turn under me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant." and save the son of thine handmaid. It's in his words that are put into the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things came flashing to Mary's mind as she contemplated the things that have been told her. That she contemplated here in this psalm, how it was put into the lips of the Messiah, O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me, give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Psalm 116, and again at verse 16, we read again the words, O Yahweh, truly I am thy servant, I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid, thou hast loosed my bonds. And again, here we find the Lord Jesus Christ set forth not only as the servant of Yahweh, but as the son of Yahweh's handmaid. And as Mary contemplates the words of the angel Gabriel, these passages of Scripture come crashing in upon her mind. And as she stands there, awestruck by the, the remarkable message that she's just received, she sees herself there as, that, as Yahweh's handmaid, spoken thereof in the Psalms, who is to be the mother of the Messiah of Israel. And she says, Behold, the handmaid of of Yahweh, be it unto me according to thy word. And note, brethren and sisters, the humble, unquestioning acceptance of Yahweh's will, even though that will was to bring her many problems and many troubles her humble, unquestioning acceptance of Yahweh's will. She didn't say, well look, can you give me 24 hours to think about it? Come back at half past seven tomorrow night and I'll give you an answer. There was none of that. There was humble acceptance of Yahweh's will. Because, and the reason why there was? Because here was a mind that was ready to receive the exposition of scripture that God was present to her She was ready to receive it, she was ready to understand it and she was ready to contemplate the tremendous responsibility that was about to be laid upon her. Indeed, a very remarkable young woman, a young woman with a very beautiful disposition, a young woman with a very profound understanding of the word of Yahweh. And where did she get that profound understanding? She got it, brethren and sisters, from many hours of deep contemplation upon the things revealed in the pages of Yahweh's Word. She was obviously a woman who held the Word of God in very high regard, who had a very deep personal love for the Scriptures of truth, and a woman who had given many hours to the reading and to the study of the Word of her God. And by that very means, she was brought and she was prepared to receive and accept this tremendous responsibility that was about to be laid upon her. May it be, brethren and sisters, that every one of us may have that same disposition that we we see in this very beautiful woman Mary, that if we might be able to say with her, be it unto me according to thy word.